This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome back my friend, Brianna Kappa. Brianna is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she specializes in maternal and infant mental health. Brianna has been on the podcast before to discuss mindful mothering and independent play, but today she is joining us to talk about a big, massive transition that many of us go through, and that is adding another child or sibling to the family. I often get asked questions like, what if I don't bond with the new baby right away? Or how do I manage juggling my love and time and attention between two children? Or what happens if my child is jealous of the baby and doesn't like being an older sibling? There are so many fears and concerns that come up around this time and transition in our family, and it makes sense because it's a really big change. In this episode, Brianna and I talk about the different challenges that we face in this transition and ways to make this transition run more smoothly, and if that's even possible. Such a deep and heartfelt conversation. Let's hear my conversation with my friend, Brianna. Waiting on a baby's arrival can be very stressful. There is so much stress and uncertainty in the air and not knowing when baby's gonna come and who's gonna be available to watch your older children is always such a major stressor for my clients. That's why I've created a free resource called The Sibling Plan. This resource helps you to brainstorm your childcare supports, provides a checklist for all the things you'll need to remember to pack for your older child, and also has a whole set of tools that you fill out and give to the childcare provider with their favorite toys, favorite foods, and things that they should avoid or are allergic to. It helps to do some of the mental and invisible load for you so that you can really enjoy those last few weeks or months with your child before a sibling comes along. To get this download, head to happyasamother.co slash sibling. That's happyasamother.co slash sibling. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Brianna, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm so excited to catch up with you. I've missed you so much. I know. I miss you too. I'm so happy to be your friend and happy to be here. Thank you for having me. 
I've got to say this is your third or fourth time on the podcast. I can't remember. We'll link all of your previous shows in the show notes of this episode, but love having you here. Welcome back. How is mom life for you these days? You recently had, I say recently, (laughs) probably almost a year ago. When did you have another baby? It's going on. It was 10 months ago. Giovanni will be a year on December 4th. And I have an older child, Mateo, who is three and a half. And, you know, the transition is, it's transitioning. I would say that the early days were really difficult in terms of sleep deprivation and trying to balance and manage work and both children and my own health. I had really, I hope this isn't TMI, but I had really (laughs) difficult issues with hemorrhoids um, Mm. with this particular birth experience. And that made me feel so miserable. Mm -hmm. On top of it, there were just so many things that I did not expect to happen with this particular child. So he had a really serious case of tongue and lip tie, like a grade four. Mm. So when he was born, he literally could not move his tongue. So it was so urgent. We had to get his tongue revised, the tie revised within the first, I think it was five hours. Oh, wow. It was really serious. And it was just a lot of pressure. He's been in a lot of therapies. He, of course, you know, common thing with the tongue and lip ties is torticollis. So he has been in and out of OT, PT, CST, all the therapies. I'm like, this child's had more (laughs) therapy than I have in my whole life. (laughs) And he's not, he's only 10 months old, you know, and I want to do the best for him. But these are like, like, isn't this motherhood, right? Like you, you have an idea of what it's going to be like, and then reality comes and you just throw that idea away. You take that fantasy, you take that idealized idea and you just throw it into the trash because real life is just different. And it just asks something different of us. And that's what I was finding, especially in the early months. Things started mm. to transition when he was around six, seven months and he started crawling And my current challenge, and I'm looking at it positively, I'm seeing it as like a growth opportunity for me as a mom, is their relationship. And Mm. hearing my three and a half year old say how jealous he is. And like, if I'm holding my my youngest, my toddler will run and try to push the baby out of my arms and get into my arms. Like you really see that even though like I'm doing everything (laughs) I can to not foster a competitive environment. You must mm-hmm. see that that is part of the transition that I do think people talk about. And I do think there are strategies and things to work through it. But really, mm-hmm. it's just like one of those things that like you kind of have to do. Like You can talk about climbing Mount Everest all you want. You can look at pictures of it. You can envision what it's like to do it. But like until you're doing it, like you just don't know what it's like to climb Mount Everest. And mm-hmm. that is how mm-hmm. I feel about motherhood and raising children and all the things. It's so true. It's so true. And we've had lots of requests for an episode around transitioning to adding more children to the family. So whether it's adding you know, a second sibling or a third or either way that brings a transition. And it's always like, well, it must get easier, right? Like, you know what you're doing. In some ways it's easier and in other ways it's significantly harder. And either way, it's a massive transition and one that moms are trying to navigate and would like some guidance in. So that's really what we're here to talk about today. And I feel like no one better to do it than us because 
of the all the boys. We have all the boys all the and boys. all the experience and then the training. So yeah, I'm really excited about this. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, and I think that you you address something really important off the bat is like we have these preconceived ideas. We have these ideals, romanticized ideas of like, let's say in my experience or my situation, what it's going to be like to raise three boys together close in age, you know, and really the reality at dinner time, if someone just had a snapshot of what our house looks like sometimes, is just crazy chaos. Like there are moments of just this, like where there's this brotherly camaraderie and bonding happening. And then there are snippets of chaos. And I feel like it's a mixture of all of those things. But it's certainly not what we expect it to be. Right. And I think the idealized ideas like that they should have camaraderie and they should be best friends and that we should be able to contain the chaos is really where we as moms end up suffering. Mm -hmm. I kind of have shifted my mindset. I expect chaos. I expect them to fight. I expect my house to be messy. I expect myself to be exhausted and unsure. And, you know, I expect there to be screaming matches. I mean, there are right now they're little tiny children. So their screaming matches are just simply who can top the other one in terms of tone. (laughs) 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 But it's certainly happening. And And I think like the resistance to the ideal not happening is really where we end up suffering. Mm -hmm. And if we can just kind of let go a bit of whatever fantasy we've been painted and letting go of that expectation that if my children aren't best friends, it must be because I have done something wrong or I have failed them or I haven't taught them, Mm -hmm. right? This is all a fantasy in our mind that really they don't have to be anything. It is just... We are creating as much safety as we can. We are trying the best that we can to understand ourselves in these big transitions, understanding the children as best as we can, and let Mm -hmm. them facilitate their own transition too. Everyone's in transition, which I also think is something that's not really talked about, that every single person in that home when a new baby comes in is Mm. fully transitioning into a completely new role that they do not know. Like being Mm -hmm. a mom of one is one thing. Being a mom of two is another thing. Being a child is one thing. Becoming a brother or becoming a sister is another thing. Mm -hmm. And these roles, they just take time. It truly does just take time to ease in and figure out your own flow for that. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. At least I can say that for sure for me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It is each person in our own way is like, expanding or our identity is shifting. There's this new piece of our identity that is being added, as you said, right? Sibling, like I'm a brother, I'm a sister, or now I'm a mom of two or a mom of three. And there is this shift in identity that is happening, even if it is our second or our third or our fourth. And that continues to happen with each new addition that we bring into the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting because I see some themes come up in my DMs and on polls on the weekends and things about preparing for this transition. Mm -hmm. Like what can we do particularly, I think, some of the comments or narratives sound like, how am I going to share my attention between my firstborn and the baby? Or is my child going to feel neglected or like I've like almost like there's some harm being done to the bond there or like dethroned in a way or Mm -hmm. whatever. 
just real worries and concern, I think, for the attachment and connection for our current present child, right? Like our firstborn. Yeah. Comes up so much in my work as well. And this real fear of like, I don't want my oldest to feel abandoned while I'm with my youngest. So I really feel like this is linked to the idea that a child builds a sense of attachment by our physical availability for Mm. the child. And children Mm -hmm. do not build attachment that way. In fact, the way children build attachment is through our ability to build self-awareness, our ability to understand ourselves and actually get out of the way a little bit. That is the primary marker for healthy, secure attachment. It's technically called reflective functioning. And so I think we have to let go of this idea that like how much time I spend with my child is indicative of how attached they are to me. Mm -hmm. That is a fantasy. It is a delusion. It is not true. Mm -hmm. Yes, you will not be able to spend as much time with that older child as you were when the second baby comes in. That is a fact. It is part of the transition. So how do we prepare this child for this big fundamental change that mommy's attention is going to be split now between two. So one thing Mm -hmm. that I like to say is, just like I grew another heart for you when I had you, I grew another heart for this baby. So it's not that you're only getting half of mommy's love, you're still getting all of mommy's love, and the other baby is gonna be getting all of mommy's love too. Mm -hmm. So we can frame it in these like metaphorical ways which children really connect to Another thing that I strongly believe was very supportive in my household, and I see it being supportive in others, is reading books over and over and over and over again. I think Lola gets a new sibling is is one. Waiting for Baby is one. Daniel Tiger has a great one. There's even like an old school Berenstein Bears Mm -hmm. new baby one that's a little silly, but you know, has some gender issues that I'm not the biggest fan of, but it's still a good enough book. The Little Critters has a good one for, you know, if you have a son who's becoming a brother, what brothers do best is a great one. If you have Mm. a daughter, what sisters do best. There are just truly uh, some beautiful books out there that are written for children and give you as the parent some language to use to be able to help your child make sense of what is going to come. You know, for example, when this baby comes, mommy is probably going to be sitting in this chair a lot and feeding the baby. This is where I'm Mm -hmm. going to be. So let's create a little basket of fun things for you to have when I'm feeding our baby there. I'm saying our baby because I'm being a little general right now, Erica, but, but I actually suggest referring to the child's name or whatever name you believe you're going to name that child because it can create a sense of competitiveness if we are always referring to the baby as baby. Mm. Children, you know, are very black and white. So if they hear there's a baby and they still feel like a baby, they think, well, then I can't be a baby. Mm. Or they think, well, I don't want to be a big kid. I want to be a baby. So I have to get rid of this baby who is taking my title, right? Mm -hmm. Their little minds cannot accept that there can be two babies. That's just not part of their thinking. So I suggest that we refer to the children by their names. So in my case, I'll say Giovanni. So I'm going to be feeding Giovanni here. And let's get a basket together of all the things that you would like to have while I'm feeding Giovanni. So we put a little baby doll 
We had some easy books that I could, you know, once I get baby latched, I could easily hold and, you know, read to him. A couple little toys, like some blocks and things to stack. Even Mm -hmm. like a fresh diaper, a little pretend baby bottle. Really anything so that he can also participate in the feeding action if he Mm -hmm. chooses. So I do encourage when you're setting up your nursing station or your feeding station, however you choose to feed your baby, have a little section for your older child to be as involved as they choose in the process. Mm-hmm. I love that. It makes me think about this adorable picture. Goodness knows where it's buried in my like digital photo book of chaos. But <laughs> Of my my son, like, you know, nursing or breastfeeding his teddy while I'm, you know, there nursing his brother. And he's just like wants to emulate and copy and do the things that mommy is doing and just so sweet. So thinking ahead to help with that and sort of anticipating that there are going to be times where our hands are tied up and there might be some of that jealousy. And it it almost sounds like getting ahead of those or being proactive, right? So when you know you're going to be feeding, having that little kit there or certain things to get ahead of those jealous moments or those challenging moments. Absolutely. I think where we end up feeling burned and exhausted is when we expect our children not to be jealous Mm. for whatever reason, because we've done all these things, so they shouldn't be jealous. Mm -hmm. Change your mindset. Expect the child to have moments and periods of jealousy of the child And that will help you to, I think, stay a little bit more connected with the toddler. So for example, toddlers can get a bit hands-on when they feel jealous. Mm. I don't like to use the word aggressive to describe toddlers. So they get handsy. And that can be really threatening to a new Mm. mom who is exhausted, who is in, you know, primary maternal preoccupation stage where I am just really focused hardcore on protecting the safety and the sanctity of this human being. It's my sole Mm. purpose to make sure that this little human being stays alive. Even though it's our toddler, our brain registers threat. And then Mm. we respond to the threat of the toddler. And it is in those moments, and they're very human moments, and every single mom of more than one child has it. I have not met one who is so Disney princess that she has not yelled at her toddler to stop hitting the baby or don't hurt the baby or something of that nature. So we should all just expect that this is going to happen, giving Mm -hmm. ourselves grace for these moments. These Mm -hmm. are human normal moments. We can always repair them. Gosh, that was so frightening. Mm. Mommy was really feeling frightened and I yelled at you and it was, that's really not okay for me to yell at you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to really try to practice keeping my voice down and keeping my body calm. And I really need you to practice keeping your hands to yourself and minding your bubble space. And please mind your, your brother's bubble space. So we're using these, you know, child-friendly language to help the children process and make sense of this huge adjustment. Mm-hmm. The young child, the toddler is used to just jumping in your arms. They don't realize that you got a baby in there. Like, They're not thinking about that. They're not aware of their own strength. They're not even aware really of their jealousy. It actually wasn't until, I want to say like three nights ago, I kid you not, I started reading (laughs) this book with Mateo called The Way I Feel. I'm sure you know it. It's like that book of like, you know, talks about all different kinds of feelings. It goes through all of them. It's beautifully illustrated. It's great for preschoolers and older kids. 
So I'm reading it to Mateo and you get to the page on jealousy and it's like a little girl sitting on a step, you know, like this. And, and there's a, like a dad, I guess, behind a door and there's like a shadow of him holding up the baby. And Mateo, three days ago, pointed and he goes, that's me. He pointed to the girl on the steps and then he pointed to the dad holding the baby and that's Jojo. I'm jealous. And I thought, holy crap, this is mm. awesome. This is so awesome. Like a, almost a year into me talking about these things and presenting these things through visuals like books, it has finally clicked in his mind. That's what I feel. So mm -hmm. now we're on the next stage of learning how to respect his bubble space and Giovanni's bubble space. And that's a whole other process in and mm -hmm. of itself. Maybe that can be something that really supports us is trusting in the process and the development of all of these things, mm -hmm. right? Like just because it's really hard in the first six months, which it was for me, I'm going to mm -hmm. be honest, mm -hmm. just because it's really hard doesn't mean it's going to be that hard forever. We'll have different flavors of hard and yeah. different stages of learning. I don't know. To me, that feels like very realistic, for, mm -hmm. for the process. It makes me think about, I think it was my third maternity leave or like third baby. Gosh, it's all one big hazy black hole at this point. <laughs> and I think it was with my third. That was when I went through some significant like postpartum depression and anxiety, mostly depression for a number of different reasons. We were sick for like 12 or 15 weeks straight. I had mastitis two times and hand, foot, mouth and I had bronchitis and it was like just everything kind of came to a head. And I remember just wanting to take my baby and like hide in a room and not be around my toddler mm -hmm. and not be around my preschooler. And in some way in that moment, all, not all my attention, but this very like primitive part of me just wanted to protect us surviving in that moment. Like we were in such a, a place. Mm -hmm. And so you had talked about the ability to be realistic and to repair these moments. And it's interesting because my middle son at the time, who was only like 16 or 18 months when my third was born, mm -hmm. was used to having mommy all the time. Like I breastfed him while I was pregnant and, you know, and he became daddy's sidekick for this period of time. But I did see it I don't want to say strain. I don't think strain is the right word, but it did take a toll on our relationship in a way that I was more short with him. I was also struggling myself. Mm -hmm. And he is a very challenging temperament mm -hmm. and had a lot of big feelings. And it just was a lot at that time. Yeah. And so there was a lot of guilt that came up around the lack of patience I had for his behavior. Right. And it took a lot of intentional connecting and one-on-one -on -one time with him to maintain and rebuild, quite frankly, rebuild that connection. Mm -hmm. But I had to be in a season of wellness myself and adjusted into being a mom of three enough that I had even the resources in me to make that a priority. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. We have to always focus on taking care of ourselves first. And, and I don't mean that lightly. I mean, yeah. every aspect of ourselves, our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health, our spiritual health, 
every single aspect of our health as mothers, when it is cared for, Mm -hmm. when it is treated with kindness and respect and grace and compassion, all of that spills over into the relationship with the child. The guilt comes from the expectation that I should be more patient, Mm -hmm. that I should be able to manage all of this. And maybe Mm -hmm. even the fear of what did I get myself into? Is this Mm -hmm. going to be my life forever? And this also, this idea that like you had to rebuild your attachment. You didn't have to rebuild it. You didn't lose what was already built. But but we would think that, we believe that in the moment Mm -hmm. that I have Mm -hmm. lost what I have done. That feels very like societal to me, like like a construction of society that says, if you're not continuing to build, 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 then you lose what you've built. Mm, and that is, mm-hmm. that's just not the case when it comes to attachment. This child was also transitioning and he was having his feelings about it and he had support from dad. And we have to trust that that is enough, that he had mm. support. And you had to go inward. You had to have that death of self that we all yeah. have to have. We have to have a yeah. total death of self to be able to come out and emerge as a mom of three, getting an attachment with your youngest baby. And then you continued to build your attachment with the child. And it sounds to me like the way you did it, and which is what I usually suggest, is having a little bit of alone time with Mm -hmm. each child. And sometimes in our family structure, that means every day we can get that. Sometimes we can't. And so Mm -hmm. what I have said, and I maybe said it here on your podcast before, but I'll just say it again. You feed the hungriest first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you have three, in your case, you had three children and the middle child was really having the hardest time. You feed Mm -hmm. that child first. He needs 10 minutes with mom a day when mommy is not distracted, when mommy is feeling full, when she's feeling good, when she's had her coffee when she, you know, slept more than 45 minutes or an hour and a half chunk last night. You know what I mean? Like when she feels good. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then we give that and we trust, this is where trust comes back, that 10 minutes is enough. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because this is still his temperament to this day. And like we have such a strong rapport and connection. He would pretty much flip anybody else off. <laughs> Like, he is a feisty little bugger, but he is soft for his mama. Like, he, you know, there's such a rapport there now. And he gets me first at the end of the night. He sort of just, I don't know if it's like requires a little more, like, his temperament's just a little different. And he really just needs this one on one time. So he gets this nice long tuck in individual time each night at bedtime. Everybody gets their own individual time. Tuck-ins and bedtime seem to be what works for us. And it's also kind of some of the more like calm and really like more attuned moments versus like the chaotic moments. So, And we get that each night and he has that special time. And it is something that like, again, found its stride and been, it is so strong. And I think that emphasizing this and the repair that can happen or the growth that can happen. And like you said, that physical presence is not what feeds a secure attachment mm-hmm. is so important for us to understand and keep in mind. If that were the case, like my kids, the oldest and middle one, now go to school and aftercare like how many days a week, you know, 
if it was all about physical presence, I would need to feel like I would have to be with them all the time. And that is the pressure that a lot of moms feel mm-hmm. in, you know, this day and age. Mm-hmm. But it's so much more than that. It is. It is so much more than that. But can I also just comment on something that I think is what you're bringing up that's really helpful when it comes to having more than one child and transitioning and all those things? The morning, the first three minutes of the day, and the last handful of minutes at the end of the day, those are the most important minutes that we spend with the child. Mm. So we might be in a crazy transition where we just had a new baby and we were up all night and we're exhausted and our toddler wakes up. And the first thought that we might have in our mind is, here we go again, Groundhog Day. Okay. Got to soldier on, got to get up and do breakfast and act like a human being, even though I definitely don't feel like one. Mm -hmm. If we can think, okay, how can I connect with this child for three minutes today? Can we sit down and read a quick book together? Can we enjoy some morning snuggles, a little back rub? Mm -hmm. Can we put together a short puzzle? Really nothing big, nothing grand, nothing over the top. You don't need to curate your, you know, after bedtime, curate a whole PlayStation for your child the next morning. I know I've seen a lot of that online. I I don't necessarily find that necessary, nor do I find it practical for the majority Mm -hmm. of families. You just want to go to bed. You don't even want to think about the next day, especially when you just transition. Like you're just thinking about your next shift, which is the evening. You're in survival mode. You are in total survival mode. Be in survival mode. It is okay to be in survival mode. That is a perfectly Mm -hmm. appropriate place to be when you add a new baby to your family. And so if we spend a couple minutes in the morning, it's going to tell this child's nervous system, I'm safe. I'm connected. I belong. I'm a part Mm. of this. And then all types of stuff is going to happen in between and that's okay. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Maybe we have a great day. Maybe we have an easy day. Maybe we have a really hard day. We're like, you've got the kids strapped onto you and you're pushing the other kid in the stroller. Both kids are screaming at the top of their heads and you are just like, I don't have any food to feed these kids. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know that story from personal experience at all. So (laughs) There's like literal pictures in my mind coming up of like, Teddy strapped in the high chair with my son wearing a bike helmet with my kid in his underwear standing on the dining room table. And food all over the floor. And I'm just like, is this really my life right now? Like, is this insanity? And then yet we do bath. Everybody snuggled into bed. We put our heads down and snuggle. And it's a different thing. It's just a different thing in those moments. And it's telling the nervous system, you're safe. You're connected. You belong here. You're loved. You're contained. What a beautiful way to start the day and to end the day, regardless of what happens in between. Yeah, Yeah. And I think that's such a realistic, achievable goal to set. This had come up in our, in Asherina and our Mom Freely Together community. Recently, we were talking about this like five minutes a day or this idea of five or 10 minutes a day. But where does that come from? And it sounds like such a little amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it comes from the attachment literature. I first learned about it when I was learning PCIT, Parent-Child Interaction Therapy, But I've heard it echoed in my child parent psychotherapy trainings and my reflective parenting trainings and practically in nearly all of my infant mental health trainings. And I've been to thousands of hours of infant mental health training at this point. Yeah. You know, the minimum is about five minutes a day of child-led interaction, child-led play, where a parent is not distracted and where a parent is, you know, so to speak, 
filling this child's bucket. I'm sure you've heard those words. Mm-hmm. Filling this child's cup. How do we fill their cup? We fill their cup with words of affirmation. I like to recommend praising the process, not the outcome. We can talk about that another time though. But praising that process. Wow, I see you're really working hard. Oh, you're taking a lot of time and deciding um, what color you'd like to make the sky today. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, wow, what a beautiful picture, right? It's trying to stay away from any type of judgment. So not labeling things as good or bad or you know mm-hmm. right or wrong, but just simply, I am present to you. I am present to your process. Really vital for the child because this is how children communicate to parents is through their play. They tell us, this is what I see about the world. This is what I think about the world. This is how I think the world thinks about me. And they'll show us all of that through how mm-hmm. they're playing. They might even play out the home. You might see yourself show up as a character <laughs> in play. And that is yeah. a great opportunity to reflect a little bit and um, to be curious about how you are in relationship with your child. I know lately, Mateo has been, oh, mommy, I'm playing going to work. And then all he does is go to work, go to work, go to work, go to work. And I'm like, I think he's trying to tell me I work too much. (laughs) (laughs) And I probably need to, you know, practice what I preach a little bit more and Mm. spend a little bit more of this concentrated time. The research shows that five minutes is the bare minimum. 15 minutes is the ideal. So my suggestion is anywhere between five and 15 minutes you are hitting a beautiful golden mark of meeting your child's attachment needs. You know, of course, we're taking care of our children and, and engaging with our children in, you know, infinite numbers of ways outside of this, you know, precious time. But it's like any relationship. We want to think about our relationship with our children like we would any relationship. You put in the time, mm-hmm. you will reap the reward of the time that you put in. This is really no different. Mm-hmm. Our relationship with ourself is also a really important relationship. That's why in maternal mental health, I know you talk about this a lot, Erica, is 15 minutes a day for mom. Mm-hmm. Mom needs mm-hmm. 15 minutes a day for herself. And that's a very, very short period of time. But like for mom's well-being, 15 minutes a day of mom really giving back to herself is what the research shows is necessary for the bare minimum. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. 
ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Even if I think about my partnership with my husband, Mm -hmm. like oftentimes he's like doing his MBA right now and I've got all these projects launching. So we don't always go to bed and get that like pillow talk at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But when we do, even if it's for like 10 or 15 minutes or we're joking around or we're laughing or we're even just touching base about how each other's day went or whatever – It's amazing how those moments can get lost in the busyness, especially as moms of our caretaking role. Because like you said, we have many interactions with our kids in the day, but it's in like a caretaking and sort of task capacity, at least for me it is, right? Like let's eat and let's do dishes and let's, you know, we're kind of moving through the rhythm of the day, which isn't a bad thing. It's just, it is what it is. So those moments in the evening, the evening is, again, just what works for us. And as you're describing child-led, it makes me think of my oldest. He's super creative, loves to draw. So he has a desk in his room for when he was doing remote school last year. And as he waits, he's the last to be tucked in because he's the oldest and he draws at his desk. And so when I come in, he loves to show me all the things that his brain has created. And we go through it. Sometimes he makes board games and he wants to show me how they work. And so we just take in some of his stuff he's created and just like, I love your brain. Like, it's amazing the things that it creates. And then we snuggle and then we tuck in and go throughout our routine, right? But I think that the pressure we fall into when adding siblings is that feeling of never doing enough, right? Like it never, if we don't come into it with a realistic expectation, 
if we think five, 10, 15 minutes, like I can fit five or 10 minutes in. Like that's so realistic. But often there's this pressure to do more. We feel like we're not doing enough and Mm -hmm. we can get really swept up in that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, because that's what's being sold to us. What is, you know, I can't speak for Canadian culture, but I can definitely speak for American culture. It is a do, 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 create, create, produce, produce, achieve, achieve type of culture. And of course, that leaches into motherhood, especially when that is tied with, you know, child outcomes. There is this fake idea that Mm. the more you do as a mother, the better your child will be, the happier your child will be, the more successful your child will be if you just do more as a mother. And it's obviously a complete delusion and none of that is true. There's no research that even supports that whatsoever. And yet we all buy into it because it makes us feel like that's something we can tackle. Well, I can just do more and then then I'm going to feel better about this process. I'm going to feel better about myself. So we're always chasing this feeling of, I guess I could feel better about myself instead of actually just being in the present moment and Mm. feeling all the work that we're doing and feeling good about all the work that we are doing and not comparing it to what I should have been doing or what I could have been doing or what she is doing or what she's not doing. It's not a competition. The only person we're in competition with is ourself. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I really think that this whole like commodifying of motherhood in this way is damaging us and making us lose ourselves. And I would love to see us you know, get back into ourselves in this process and not make that our children's job to help us find ourselves, but really just let us be in charge of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, little different topic from what we are specifically talking about today, but a really important one that comes up at practically every stage, I think, of motherhood. Yeah. Yeah. The pressures are real and the needing to do more. And I think that there are some practical things that we can be doing, mm-hmm. but I also think that the self-compassion and the kindness and being gentle with ourselves and setting realistic expectations, that work is, you know, almost the more important work. Like, like preparing our child and reading the books, like th- those are important, but there is also this like inner work that is so important for us to be mindful of and that giving yourself grace and learning how to be compassionate with yourself when, you know, you didn't juggle it all perfectly that day because I guarantee you, (laughs) you won't. And I was having a conversation with Dr. Sophie Brock and we were talking about the perfect mother myth and she was explaining how the perfect mother myth is really pervasive in motherhood for, you know, first time moms and moms of, you know, one child. But the more children you start to add, the less pervasive it becomes because you are forced to shatter your ideals and expectations because it's just not humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And so I really had a moment of that after my third, where it was just like, I give up. I give up trying to be it all and do it all and appear like I've got it all together and make it seem like I'm doing it perfectly and that I'm managing all this effectively because I'm not. No. And it was a moment in life when just everything changed, everything shifted Mm -hmm. from there because I allowed myself to not be perfect, to not have that pressure of doing it 
in the way that, I don't know, I thought or expected or whatever that it should be done. It's like that metaphor with climbing Mount Everest. Letting go of perfection is like climbing Mount Everest. And we theorize about it, but it is when life pushes us in that direction. And it's like, you can't turn back. You are still moving forward and you are going up that mountain. You have to let go of it because it is the perfection that is making us suffer. It is the perfection that is killing us. It's killing our joy. That is maybe even actually killing some moms Mm -hmm. in a very serious way, in a very literal way. It is this need and this illusion that if I am perfect and I am in control, then my children will be perfect and will have the most perfect of lives and will never suffer and will always be happy and they won't have to deal with the things that I have dealt with in my lifetime and Mm -hmm. their life is going to be so great and it's all because of me being perfect. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, newsflash, we don't live in a perfect world. So your children actually need to learn how to live in an imperfect world. And the way children learn how to be in the world is how they learn to be in relationship with us. Mm. So you are so spot on that the most important work of motherhood is totally impractical. Mm -hmm. It's not practical. It's not these tips and tricks and scripts and do this, not that. It it is not, those things help, Mm -hmm. but they're very practical to like solve an immediate problem. But the impractical of, oh, I have to grow. (laughs) I have to get in touch with myself in ways that, frighten me. Mm -hmm. I have to be out of control. I have to deal with the anxiety and the fear and the stress that comes up for me Mm -hmm. when I am out of control. I have to deal with that. And if I don't, I'm going to crack and I'm going to deal with it then. Mm -hmm. But it's like pick and choose. When do you want to deal with it? You want to deal with it now? You want to deal with it in a year or two or three? When it all comes to a head? When do you want to deal with it? Because we're going to have to deal with it. And isn't, to me, that is the beauty of this. It's Mm -hmm. raw. It's messy. It's imperfect. And it's so unique and different for every single mother, even though this experience that you and I are talking about is totally universal. Mm -hmm. Every woman goes through it. Every mother goes through it. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe people hit that stage at different times in their motherhood journey. Like, I don't know if some happens where on their first where they realize, like my first, I kind of like took it in stride and I could really keep this facade up. It didn't stretch me. It it stretched me, but not... It shows you physically, like what you could physically do, what you could physically right. manage, right? And like I went through this adjustment of like, you know, that mattress adjustment that we all go through, like, whoa, I can't leave the house without a human. Like, this is a big deal, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But adding my second and third, I think that the biggest, like when I reflect on like what the biggest challenges were during that time, obviously they're the challenges of parenting and like sleep deprivation and the practical things of juggling nap schedules and sort of like the content of some of those pieces. But for me as like mom was that perfection piece that like, I can't juggle it all anymore. Mm-mm. No. But I don't want to admit it. Right. Because I don't want to look like I'm failing. Correct. But like, right? Like, I don't want to say, whoa, where's the return slip? Like, this is insane, right. you know? So I'm going to just like, try and keep it together and go through the motions or like, you know, drive yourself into the ground trying to achieve that perfectionism, right? like whatever that looks like. There's so I see it play out so differently with different clients and things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
And at some point, you just have to like let go of that. And I think that that comes at different stages and different times, or there's different catalysts for that for different moms, right? And I think something that we also have to speak to is just like, who is around us? Like, who is holding us? Who is supporting us? Who is there for us in these catalytic moments where we feel like some major metamorphosis is happening within? Hmm. I know I was having a really dark moment at five weeks postpartum with Giovanni. Just keep in mind, Giovanni was two weeks late. Okay. Mm. So I was like a thousand weeks pregnant when I gave birth. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and he had that serious tongue and lip tie. So breastfeeding, as you can imagine, was quite the journey. We are still breastfeeding now, you know, by, I don't even understand how that's happening, but it was really, really hard. And I was very anxious and I was very stressed. And he was going through a period where all he did everybody, practically all babies do this at like five, six weeks, but like all they do is scream and cry. And it was like nothing was helping him at all. And I was so worried about it that I called my midwife and I asked her for some support. And her response to me was, well, I wonder if you need to go to the hospital. I wonder if you are afraid that you're going to hurt your baby. And mm. I was just like, what? What on earth is giving you the idea that I would want to hurt my baby? I am mm. calling you because I am overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm doing with this child. My nipples are cracked and bleeding. I have nipple damage. I am mm -hmm. scared out of my mind for this child because I have never dealt with anything like this before. Why do I even ask for help? I immediately went into that headspace. It like confirmed that faulty narrative of mine mm -hmm. that people aren't there to help you. People are there out to get you. So mm. don't ask for help because people are going to find a way to use it against you. That's such a big one with maternal mental health. If you are having intrusive thoughts or you're so sleep deprived that you're like, someone needs to just take this baby for a night so I can sleep. Like, it's such a fear of moms to be able to talk about their struggle. Right. And that's a message that I want to send to all moms and especially moms transitioning. You got to have your people mm -hmm. that can talk you off a ledge, that can hold you, validate you, not scare you in that way, not mm -hmm. make these judgments and these impositions that actually just make it worse and make you feel like you can't ask for help. Because especially when you have more than one, like whatever superhero, superwoman stuff you were able to do with one child, you can no longer do with two. You just simply cannot. No. You are outnumbered. You've got two kids now that you're taking care of. You're recovering yourself. You just simply cannot. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to rely on whatever help it is that you have around you. I know that some people have more help than others. Maybe we have to get creative. We have to work our networks mm -hmm. and we have to show up for each other. Every time a friend of mine has a baby, I do everything I can now, especially a second and third child, because I didn't realize how hard it was until I went through it. You think, oh, they've got it figured out. They've been through this before. That's what you think. And that was, I think, such a big factor in my third. It was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's her third. Like, whatever. There's no showers. There's no check-ins. There's no support. Well, we did. We had my mother-in-law came from overseas and, and stayed with us. And we did have great support. But it's yeah. not the same as, like, the doting of a first-time mom. Right. And yet you're 
juggling three humans. You have to give yourself grace. My favorite metaphor when it comes to all the juggle, and I think it really relates to moms that have multiple kids, is we tend to think that everything that we're juggling is a glass ball. Mm. Everything's a glass ball. And so we work so hard to keep all these glass balls up in the air. You know, when something's glass and you're throwing it up, you got to be really careful and really attentive to catch it and make sure it doesn't break. And what we tend to forget is that the vast majority of things that we are juggling that we believe in our minds are glass balls are actually rubber bouncy balls, Mm. that they can actually fall and bounce and they can keep bouncing and we can pick it up when we're ready to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I always invite my new moms at whatever stage of motherhood they're in, first child, second child, third child, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Evaluate the balls in front of you. How many of them are you designating glass? What can we transfer and shift into a rubber bouncy ball? And realistically speaking, you can only juggle about three glass balls at a time before you start dropping some things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I prepared a freebie a while back for this reason that we're talking about with the help and the catalyst moment and the sort of proactively thinking about who our supports are and who we can call for help. It's called the postpartum prep list. And I'll make sure to link it in the show notes, but it goes through and it's like a, it's almost 20 pages and it walks through things like who you can call, what your emotional wellness plan is for postpartum. How are you going to maybe prep to have some food ready or incorporate some movement or some of these things that we know help with mood and things in the postpartum period, Mm -hmm. not to apply pressure, but to think about where we can maybe pull on some supports to do that or how we might phrase asking for help or work up the bravery to do that. So Mm -hmm. I'll link that prep list, I think specifically for that emotional wellness plan, because when you are, like you said, like in those early throws in the middle of the night baby's not eating or is just screaming and you're sleep deprived, like our brain cannot pull on what our wellness steps should be, (laughs) you know, like it's just like so far from our minds at that point. Right. And so I call it a birth plan for mom. It's our postpartum prep list is this birth plan for mom where Mm -hmm. we think about what your needs are going to be in the postpartum period and make sure that there's a plan for those in place. Yeah. That's such a beautiful offering. And I just want to reflect on how this conversation today, the main topic was, you know, adding another baby and how do we support that transition? And notice, I just am noticing how the majority of this conversation is focusing on the mother. And that I think is this really powerful reminder that we tend to focus on what do we need to do for the kids? Mm -hmm. So true. We never forget to feed the children. We almost always forget to feed ourselves or we feed ourselves last. Mm -hmm. So this conversation is so important and so powerful because it is reminding us that when we feel well, when we feel taken care of, when we feel supported, we'll have the space, Mm -hmm. we'll have the capacity to manage whatever it is that our children throw in front of us. These are little problems that our children are having. They're not big, huge, you know, issues that are not solvable. They're all Mm -hmm. solvable. Mm-hmm. And, and our mental health is also solvable. It just tends to be deprioritized. And that's why I love this conversation because we're reminding moms that when you add children into the family, the priority is you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so good. 
And I so appreciate having you here. I feel like whenever we have these conversations, we connect on such a deep level. And I so appreciate that. I know you're online. I know you're active in supporting parents. Where can they find you? What are you up to these days? Yes. You guys can find me at Conscious Mommy on Instagram. You can join my private Facebook community if you'd like. It's called Conscious Mommy Community, where we are always talking about the hard truths and the hard things of parenting, of motherhood. And I offer a more conscious and reflective look into motherhood. I'll give you practical tips and insights, but I also like to dive into the impractical. As I said today, Mm -hmm. I believe and I know it to be true that in this self-awareness, in the growing of our self-awareness is really where we become the people that we were meant to be as mothers. I believe we're not raising children. We're actually raising our own consciousness, our own awareness in the Mm -hmm. process. And kids are, you know, these wonderful vessels for that. So that's a bit of my message and my teachings and I have lots of different things available. I have a freebie if you, you know, don't want to follow or if you're not interested in any of that, you can go to my website, consciousmommy.com. And I have a 27 page guide called Stepping Stones for the Conscious Mommy, Hmm. which walks you through your issues of control, your issues around helicoptering and anxiety, your issues around perfectionism, people pleasing, healing your own past hurts, breaking cycles, all those great conversations gives you some tips and support around that. Yeah. And we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes and blog posts that are linked in the description of this episode. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Of course. Thanks for having me, Erica. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.